Class is in session. Your most unconventional class. She talks all things, all subjects. It's the interdisciplinary podcast, hosted by your favorite doctor. This is what's the say with Doctor Kim Ray. Welcome to the show. I spy. Do y'all remember that game? I spy. I spy my controversial. My free thinkers. <laughs> if, if these are you, then, well, and if it's not you, I still encourage you to stay with us because we are talking about topics that are very controversial, but yet they are so meaningful and so necessary to talk about today. And so I encourage you to stick with us. This is episode 10, and we're calling this one the tipping point, the tipping point of mass incarceration, equity, and COVID. You know, we're going to be talking about all three of those things and how they encompass really the underlying subject of systemic racism and mass incarceration. And so how many of you have seen that movie 13th? I mean, if you have, I want you to comment below. Yes, 13. Comment below. Yes, 13. If you've seen that movie, this movie right here, though, it was the beginning for me of my understanding. It opened my eyes to this this major big problem that we have in this nation, in this world, but specifically here in the United States. This movie was named 13th because of the 13th Amendment. And so I want to read to you real quickly before I bring on our amazing guest, the 13th Amendment. And so, so the 13th Amendment is neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. This to me, this movie was so eye-opening to me because it was the beginning of my understanding of the decades, not just a couple of years, we're talking in decades and decades and generations and generations of strides to basically decimate black and brown people in the United States. And it also was the acceleration of mass incarceration. And so I, I think in the wake of George Floyd and the Ahmaud Arbery story specifically, you know, we as a nation are finally having these conversations that we've been turning our blind eye to for so many years. And so uh, I think it's so incredible that I have this this amazing guest with us for episode 10. Uh, and we'll get to her bio as soon as I bring her on. And I'm going to bring her on in just a minute. And I'm so excited to do so. Before we do that, if you like what we're doing and you really enjoy it and you want to support us, Click that subscribe button and hit that notification bell for your weekly updates. We do these every Wednesday, drop every single Wednesday. So be ready. If you hit that notification bell, you'll get that notification that we've got a new episode out there. So I'm ready to bring her on because I can't take this any longer. We've been waiting for her for weeks. I've been trying to get with her. And so now she is here. She is Howard undergrad and MS of Divinity from Howard. And then she got her PhD at Duke University right? She is a prison abolitionist, okay, and ordained Baptist minister. She is Reverend Dr. Madeline McClenny, and we're ready to bring her on. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 10 guest, Reverend Dr. Madeline McClenny. Welcome to What's the Say with Dr. Kim Ray, Doc. Thank you, Dr. Kim Ray. It's great to be with you. Yes, I am so happy to have you. You know, with this climate that I was just telling my subscribers about, that we're in right now. I bet you are super busy. Are you, how's everything going over there? You're probably really busy over there at Exodus. 
So, you know, our focus is, is right now on how to get people out of the state prisons yeah. and federal prisons. So, yes, we are very busy. We're doing wow. some work behind the scenes. I'll come back and share with you later. Oh, absolutely. And we'll get to all of that because I know we're going to be talking about a lot of the work that you do as we go through this whole this whole episode is all about the work you do. It's just incredible. Um, but, you know, so I want to go back into your bio now that I have you on and we can talk a little bit more about your bio it, more in detail. You know, you you I, I mentioned to them that you have your bachelor's of arts in business administration and finance um, and also a master's of divinity, both of those degrees from Howard University in Washington, D.C. And then you. <laughs> it's you yeah <laughs> my dad is a bison too he was a head drum major freshman freshman and he's 5'8 so that, that was pretty big for HBCU to have be so short and head drum major <laughs> but but he went to Howard yep mm-hmm. so we love me some Howard but, but back to who we got here my uh my guest here Dr. Madeline she also got her PhD not, y'all y'all gotta hear this this is big she got her PhD in Hebrew Bible an Old Testament studies. That's not it, y'all. Like, the, like as if the PhD wasn't enough, okay? She also got minors in women's studies and Islamic law. And this was both from Duke University in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so uh, past her degrees, she started training in the restorative practices area. And so when I was learning about who she was. This is long before I became an, an admirer of her. Now I know who she is and I know how amazing and incredible she is as a woman. But when I was learning about her, I was, I was wondering what's, what is restorative practices? And I'm going restorative. Is that like the human body or? So I want to ask her to share with, with us today, my subscribers real quickly. What exactly is restorative practices? I know I read that it's like super understudied and we need to learn more about it. But so that means a lot of us probably don't know what it is. So can you share with us? Dr. Madeline, what exactly restorative practices is? Sure, because all of your audience should start to get familiar with this term and use it and ask uh, city, local, national elected officials to be talking about this. So restorative practices is um, a social science that studies how to repair harm. Okay. That's the basic definition. And I I would add without using prisons. Ah. So how do we repair harm between individuals where one person has injured another person without uh, throwing someone in a cage? Mm -hmm. And and, and, and then using restorative practices, our aim is to reduce crime, violence, bullying, improve human behavior, strengthen civil society, restore relationships. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's very interesting. It's a different way to look at it. You know, uh, I, I'm just I'm just excited about this. So we so we're gonna c- continue and and talk more about w- how that all ties into to this discussion today. And so um, so so imagine this, uh, Dr. Kim Ray. Yes, please. If if you had a 13 year old right mm-hmm. that was caught with weed, okay, that you caught with weed. Yes. Would you throw him in your basement for five or ten years? deny him access to family and discontinue his education because you caught him with a bag of weed. Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely See, see that's essentially much. what what we have been doing as it relates to mass incarceration. So restorative practice um uh, is what mom and dads do all the time. Okay. You sit down, you talk with your son or daughter, you discuss the harm that was done. Yes. And you come up with some kind of uh 
lesson. Yes. Right? We talk yes. about it in a healthy family where you don't like slap the you know what out of them, mm. but but you you come up with some kind of lesson okay. that repairs your trust and um, whatever harm they did. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It, it's definitely a great way. It's a healthier way to look at it. I got my master's in adult education and um, I learned through that program as well as my PhD in, in organizational leadership studies that, that the human goes through several stages, uh, but I, I focused on the adult. So when we're talking about an 18 year old and up um, as they, as society labels you an adult at 18 here, People go through a lot of changes and there's a lot of stuff that happens. It's, it's very similar. I can almost relate, you know, from my experience, not being so much in the criminal justice and reform stuff that I, I mean, I don't really work in that. Um, but I can relate from my professional side of developing adults. And, uh, you know, you can't, you can't treat them like animals. You can't treat them like you have to treat them like human beings and make them feel like they're valuable to, to society too. And right? I think, so, mm -hmm. so we all say that life is a classroom. Yeah. How, how do you learn the lessons if you're constantly being punished? Mm. Right. You know, we're not talking about the most heinous crimes right now. That's a whole yes. other discussion. Correct. That's, absolutely. But, but for the vast majority of offenses, we can't even learn the lesson because we're focusing on punishment. So restorative right. practices I love circumvents it. all that. Awesome. Awesome work. And through this, you have now founded, well, not now, it's been since 1999, you founded the ExodusFoundation.org. And so tell us about Exodus Foundation, because I know that Exodus Foundation uh, was a part of this Exodus Coalition plan, too, that was during the Obama term, and it resulted in the clemency that he pardoned several people from their sentences, and you what you had up to 80k nonviolent? No, 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 no. That's not. No, let me let, let okay. me not take credit for what I didn't do. Clear me up. <laughs> Fix me up. <laughs> then I'd be like, that woman said she did this. No, 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 no. <laughs> so it's a um, it, it is a 33-page plan, Dr. Kim Ray. Okay. On how the Obama administration and any administration afterwards could release tens of thousands of people from federal prison. Okay. And so, um, and so we submitted that plan. We went yes. up, took Freedom Riders up to D.C. Mm -hmm. You know, we filled out a commutation application for everyone in prison because we knew a whole lot of people wouldn't even know about the clemency process. Right. So where it said first name and last name, we put all nonviolent overcharge okay. prisoners. Yeah. Um, and so, so yes, but what Exodus does, ex our mission is to stop the flow on a local level, stop the flow of African-Americans to prison. Okay. And on the national level to stop the flow of all Americans and immigrants to prison. Okay. And we right. do that through 20 customized reentry, 24-hour reentry mentoring. Yes, yes. And so that's, that's like uh, you have courses that are done on a weekly basis or they're in some type of so, it's a program. So we train the mentors mm -hmm. and the mentor, uh, so the mentors are learning about what mass incarceration does to a person, yes. what the needs of that person uh, are likely to be when they exit prison or jail. Okay. And then after that mentor has been trained, we match them with someone who has come to us and requested support. Got it. Okay. Oh, I would like to hear more about how you match them later. That's, that's interesting. Very cool. Okay, so we're going to continue, guys. Stick with us. I want to get into more, a little bit more uh, pervasive conversation now, right? Because we've learned a little bit about her background and how she's so pertinent in this conversation. So we're talking about Miss 
Miss Prison Abolitionist here, right? And I can't even say Miss because she's a doctor. So <laughs> say Miss. <laughs> you say Hey, you, because that's what most people say when they hear prison abolition. They don't. They don't really mm. comprehend the transformative power of it if we all yeah. embrace it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and I think it was frowned upon that that label and that term. It uh, still know, is in many places. In many places, absolutely, yes, yes. But I think we're in a new a, a new day today, and I people so. are people are actually listening a little bit and they actually are. getting involved in the conversation when they were a little too fearful to do it before. So I have to to say I, I'm I'm excited about that. I I don't know where it's taken us, but that's the at least some change and some excitement that can we can see maybe a little bit of a light coming down that hallway. But I think because you are a prison abolitionist, Doc, I want to talk about how there are over 2 million people locked up in prison and jails across the United States right now, approximately. And that is the highest incarceration rate in the world, right? And the U.S. constitutes approximately 5% of the world's population, yet it houses 25% of the world's prisoners. And so basically black and brown people are disproportionately imprisoned in the U.S. prison system. So now I, I, I think the world sees it from two lenses, right? You know, and that's what we were kind of just saying. We were saying that, you know, you focus on the rehabilitation side of things, the rehabilitation programs and the undoing that society has continued to maintain the oppression, right, of, ma of the masses of people through punishment, violence and control, right? And so, but like we were saying, these other people are thinking you're saving the wrong people and this is not right. And so let's talk a little bit about being a prison abolitionist and what that means to society and to you. Let's talk a little bit about that. So, so two of the basic tenets of prison abolition, abolition is um, economic and social justice for all mm. and reconciliation in the community instead of punishment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those are two, ba two, two, two of the basic tenets of abolition. And one of, the, one of the other tenets is, first and foremost, is that prisons are reprehensible. Okay. That prisons cannot be reformed. Prisons should not be a, a part of human society. And so, like you said, you know, people, a lot of people are like, the first thing that comes out of someone's mouth, and I know you've heard it, Doc, is, well, what about the rapists and the, and the incest and the murderers? Yes. Okay. Yes. Let's let's put just for a second. We, we're gonna have an answer for that. Yeah. Let's just for a moment. Yes. Right. Yes. Put that three percent to the side. Okay. Okay. Because there's ninety-seven percent of the people we locked up don't fall in that category. No, say if that I, percent is ninety-seven. Ninety-seven percent of the people we Ooh. lock up do not fit in that category. Wow. Uh, not only that, a lot of people who have killed those cases have never been solved yes. and they're out running churches, stores, mm. teaching in the school systems. Mm. And, 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 I, and I've met people like this myself, right? Uh -huh. right? So this idea that all the offenders are being caught and put in prison is a mistake anyway. Right. And then when you look at our history, right, consider that the people that founded and who ran this country? Yes, were raping their slaves on the weekend. That's right. Killing the enslaved. Yes, you know, um, you know, <laughs> this country was run by the very people we say should be locked up forever for mm -hmm. long. You know, mm -hmm. so let me give an example of just yes. how of what one prison abolitionist okay. said. 
this is Bruce Wright, and I'll tell you who he is in just a minute. Sure. And this is a quote. Okay. For years, I have condemned the prisons of America. Mm -hmm. I have always said that the prison system as it exists in America today should be abolished. Mm -hmm. As I have grown older, I have seen no reason to change that view. Okay. That is justice, Bruce Wright. Mm -hmm. That is a judge mm -hmm. in 1975. Wow. Yeah. In 1975, when the prison population was maybe 300,000. Yeah, it hadn't Before even. it had a 500% increase. Right. Nixon, that was just before the war on drugs, probably, or right in yeah, that. Right, right, right at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. So, so this is not new, is mm -hmm. my point. Mm -hmm. This is not a new idea. Yeah. And so what does that look like? What does prison abolition look like? Are you with the defund the police and the, what, is, what does that look like? to us that, that Pri don't prison abolition it. looks like someone commits an offense mm -hmm. and instead of arresting and booking them yes they are required to show up at a what we call in restorative practices a circle okay and in that circle the person who committed the harm comes with people who will support him or her okay and the person who was harmed comes with people who will support him or her. Yes. And the facilitator begins a discussion between the person harmed and the person who did the harm. Okay. And at the end of the discussion, the facilitator has been trained mm -hmm. to help them come to an agreement on, on how to repair the harm. And it's oh. a written agreement. And most of the time, it is very, very effective. You yeah. saw examples of that uh, in, in that brief series that Van Jones did on redemption. I don't know if yes. you ever saw one of yes. his episodes. I did. But when you see people sitting around talking with a facilitator, that's called a circle. Yes. And that is part of restorative practices. Okay. 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 Yeah. And so it's I was almost trained, like a focus group. You could say that, but it, except it's, there, there's a lot of work that goes into bringing those people together. Sure. So a focus group is giving you feedback on a subject matter, yeah, typically. But, but the, the people that, you know, prepare a circle are talking to the victim and the person who did the harm. Sure. And and separately. Yeah. Before anyone ever comes together. Right. Okay. So okay. that's the heart of restorative. So I was trained, actually, thanks to the Lilly Endowment by uh, the International Institute of Restorative Practices last year. Oh. To conduct circles. Okay. And, um... Awesome. So, so that's so something yeah, that we haven't now. incorporated it yet, but we okay. need to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, good stuff. Good, good stuff over there. So, okay. So let's, let's transition then into the, the imperative, right? I, I, I think, you know, we don't care enough about people that are incarcerated. We don't care enough about them. We don't, we don't care about the experience that, that they experience. We don't care enough about the family members of those that have to go to these prisons and visit these individuals at the at the prisons and are almost treated like their prisons just when they go to visit their loved one. Um, so I think, you know, we as people need to kind of 
think about humanity a little bit more from a broader scope than what we've been looking into right now. You know, and change is, change is possible, I think, if we believe that. If we believe and we start waking up and stop turning our blind eye to these situations. And so I want to talk about the reentry process, reentry needs. And I know, uh, Doc, that you were a sentencing specialist, which I learned from you that that is when you basically went to a hearing of, on a court and you would plead for the sentence of the the defendant, yes, you would try to lower their sentence, right? Or, yeah. So, so the, our goal was to make sure they didn't go to prison. Mm. So, well, well, as much as as much as we could to, inf- yes. to influence the discussion, the narrative around what happened in a way that the judge would decide for a community alternative as opposed yes. to the cage. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. That's good. And um, can you share some stories about how? how others can get involved or what are the key components of the reentry process and how others can get involved in this? How can they do this work if they feel like they want to get involved and help? Oh, there's so many ways to help. If, you know, through our organization or other organizations here in Mecklenburg or around the country, well, let me say something about coming out, coming home. Sure. Let's say the, the impact of starting over again um, is magnified mm-hmm. by how long someone stayed in jail or prison. Okay, yes. So the longer they were institutionalized, the more uh, care they will need when they come home. Okay. Typically. And right. also it depends on what happened to them while they were inside. Right. Okay. Something traumatic can happen, you know, if you stay there only a month versus. Mm-hmm you know, 10 years. It, here, here in my own town, minors were being held in solitary confinement in the local jail. Um, and so they were, they were having PTSD and all sorts of symptoms. So when they come home, we need, the family needs support. The person coming home needs support. Yes. All of the things that we should be doing anyway as a society <laughs> to care for, for one another. Yeah. It's, it's, it, this, this forces us to be, to be better caring be- better caretakers of our neighbors yeah um, so so people should not be you know suffering uh with food shortages throughout the month because someone came home from prison yeah. and now they have an extra mouth to feed and that busts the fam that busts the family's um budget mm-hmm. and and we have reduced the safety net so much so now that even if you get food stamps it's not enough to live on yourself. Right. So, so that means for organizations like ours, in addition to providing mentoring, we're constantly having to either go into our budget or ask churches for support to feed people. So you can be a person who helps provide food. You can be a person who helps people get to their doctor's appointments, to their probation appointments, um, to, to get, bus tickets yes right and it's 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 until you have a certain amount of experience um under your belt it is best to work with an organization that can train you and prepare you for that 
That's awesome. And, and I think that, that that leads us into talking about how these things will help. In essence, that, that buzzword is recidivism and the rate of return for these, I don't want to call them Formal, Formerly incarcerated people. Formerly incarcerated people. Yes, yes. To no ex-offenders. Every, everyone listening to, to, to your show. Don't use that. Please do not call anyone an offender or ex-offender. If they, okay. you know, of course, if they want to call themselves that, that's that's their prerogative yes but okay um, so, so no returning citizens returning, returning citizens, citizens or mm-hmm. formerly incarcerated person okay okay yeah and i know california is is dealing with the highest recidivism rate right now that's across the nation i read that uh so i don't know <laughs> what they've got going on over there but you know california is always like a little bit more progressive than the, the rest of us in the states they likely were releasing quite a few people and they probably didn't have the services in place okay. to, to, to help people acclimate to society yeah. again. Okay. Um, and That's why it's so important what, what you're talking, what you do, the work you do is so important. And, and I think if people just kind of w- could see it from that lens, you know, instead of thinking, oh, they're all bad, they're just bad, they're all bad. No, you need to wake up and open your eyes to seeing... The, the data, the reasons why these individuals are in prison. What is the data? What is it saying? It's th- like you said, up in the high 90s percentage rate of, of individuals that are nonviolent and they're locked up for years depending on where they are and what judge got them and uh, their skin color even. 90, 96% of convic- convictions are attained through plea bargaining, not a jury trial. Yes. And so we, so, so when people, you know, the funny thing about it is in the, in the eighties and nineties, people used to joke about how everyone in prison says they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Now that we (laughs) understand how the plea bargaining process works, there's a fairly good chance. A lot of the men and women that were saying that really did not do that. Whatever was laid upon them. Right. You know, so we, we, we we overburden people with charges, right? Mm-hmm. and um, stack charges against them to give them a lot of time. That is shifting among some prosecutors who recognize the need to change. But, um, but you're right. The recidivism rate where I am mm-hmm. is around 40%. It's gone down. Okay. I don't, I, I, um, yeah, yeah the, numbers, the numbers have gone down. But that is still extremely high. That is high. That's almost yeah, that's- half of the <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So just to remind you guys, uh, we are talking the tipping point, mass incarceration, equity and COVID with Dr. Reverend Dr. Madeline McClenney, founder and president of the Exodus Foundation. She's a prison abolitionist and also an ordained Baptist minister. So she is the truth. We are talking a lot of important stuff right here now, but I want to go into how, you know, we've, We've all been talking about how our kids have been at homeschooled and and our parents are now teachers as well as parents. And, you know, we've got uh, tough discussions going on every day. I've got uh, the governor here in Florida. uh, I'm talking about... um, what he wants to do about these public school systems and and, uh, they're going back to school and should they go, should they not? And we're here at fall now. I'm not sure if everyone's gone back to school up your way, but here we have not gone back to school yet. No, we haven't. We haven't. Okay. Okay. So with that, I, I, I find it very, um, 
I, the irony in the, the ability for us to go back to school as kids but as adults who are the faculty members and the administrators who are at higher risk because they're saying that these kids are not at risk for COVID-19, um, when we've seen that that has uh, been uh, shown to be a fallacy and kids have gotten it. But even if we just say, okay, the majority of kids won't get it and adults um, are the only ones that can mostly get it there what about the employees that go to these schools where these kids are going to school okay so we're talking about how it's okay for us to go back to school and for us to be teachers and administrators it's safe enough for us to do that but now we're talking about inmates and how inmates um are being released from prison because prisons aren't safe enough due to COVID-19 whereas we got like 120,000 federal inmates in the um Bureau of Prisons right uh, you know? And I think we completed somewhere between like 40K tests, COVID-19 tests, and 11K or so positive tests. They're okay with releasing these, these inmates who, when society, right, we're, we're talking about all these people that are, that are concerned and worried or don't understand why you could want to even be a prison abolitionist for these bad people, right? These so-called bad people, you know, but now we're going to release these so-called bad people uh, due to the COVID-19 virus. And, and some people have died, if I'm not mistaken, from, uh, I believe uh, about 100 federal inmates have died from the virus. Right. Right, 113. So yes, absolutely. And so, you know, Dr. Kim, what I want your audience to think about is like, what makes someone bad? Mm -hmm. Like, where Mm -hmm. do do we get that thinking? Yeah. And and how much is that uh, interconnected to race? Right, right, right. So, so when you talk about the feminization of poverty, in the late 70s and 80s, where the the, the idea that women and children were becoming poor and poor as there were fewer fathers in the household and um, conservatives developed the trope of the of welfare queen. Right? Yes. Right. And so, so you connect uh, that's taking advantage. Now, now how can a poor person take advantage of resources? Like you're poor. <laughs> <laughs> you need all the resources you can get. Yeah. And, so, and so what we did was we laid upon the feminization of poverty, yes. this name calling of the welfare queen, and added, and, and then you connect blackness, which has already been categorized as bad, evil, yeah. wicked, dark, right. um, demonic, yes. ignorant, lazy, mm-hmm. and then you, mm-hmm. you smash all those things together, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so now anyone who commits a crime, yeah. we don't even know what the charges are yet. Just having contact with the criminal justice system makes them bad. Yeah, right, right. Right, so there are all these labels. Having contact with poverty was, was uh, connected to being bad. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, we need people to unpack their own thinking about like what, what makes a person bad. Yeah. You know, if I can speak for a minute as an ordained Baptist minister, okay. holiness is not so much about what we do wrong. Yes. Right? Holiness, you know, and, and, and put it this way, holiness yeah. is not so much about, if you read the book of Leviticus, holiness is not so much about um, what we do to remain holy. 
Okay. But it is as just as much about what we do to make things right mm-hmm. when we've made a mistake. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. makes you holy as well. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you a holy person to repair the harm you've done. Yes. And so we short circuit that process by labeling people as bad, throwing them into prison. As I said earlier, they, mm-hmm. we never get to learn our lesson. Yeah. And, we, we, and, and the victims, meanwhile, suffer. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And so and we've it, got. And, and nothing's ever, yeah, like you say, you never get to learn your lesson. So nothing's ever fixed. We, how are we going to move forward? How are we going to develop? You don't can't. reform cancer, Doc. You don't reform cancer. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. want to kill it. Mm-hmm. So right. prison reform, no thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has to be abolished mm. and replaced for those, that 3% that is so dangerous to themselves and other people, yeah. a locked mental health facility. Right. Because okay. It, Mm-hmm. A locked mental health facility. Go ahead. Well, so I want to ask you then, if we're talking about removing all of these, because I've got some rogue, pretty rogue friends on, on like my social media pages that comment on things like this and would just be blowing at this, like angry at this conversation. But it, it, I think like if, if we're talking about mental health and those things being issues for how we can, or the the real problem here, then how do you go from having all of these prisons, right, both private and public prisons, to just removing them and or changing them into mental health facilities or rehab facilities, if you will? Um, how does that happen? I mean, you'd have you, you turn the spigot off, and the spigot is in the streets. It's the arrests. Okay. You stop if you if you stop arrests. Yeah. Who's going to prison, right? So, if the so only people you, you take on the police, then in what way? When you say defund the police, or you don't well, say that at all? No, I don't say that. I I would say reimagine public safety. Uh huh. Uh huh. And in reimagining public safety, we would reallocate resources. Okay. To guardianship as opposed to policing, because mm-hmm. policing requires a hunt. Right. Mm. Some people know uh, and have studied this more than uh, better than I have. How how the police force was intended to capture runaway slaves. Yes. Right. And mm-hmm. in many ways, we are still treated like one runaway slaves in this country. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. get in place. Get back in line. Yeah. You know, don't get too high. Don't speak mm-hmm. out too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the slightest error. We are penalized more than others. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and so you cut it off at this, you turn the spigot off and the spigot is the way that we police. Okay. So we need to reimagine public safety by having guardians in the community. We can, we can retrain the police, current police who are willing to be retrained. Yeah. And, um, and the others, we can, we can help them find other careers if they don't want to be guardians. All right. Troops, there are whole troops of men and women who've been incarcerated. They'd be great guardians. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's 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 um the beginning of a conversation that we could continue for a long time, Doc. But but I don't want to lose my my viewers, my subscribers. We've we've really talked some good things today, and I hate to let you go because I really want to talk more. But I, I we've been talking for a longer period than you think. Watching, well, thank you. Well, it's been a joy to be with you and to see you. I miss you, lady. I miss, I miss you. you too so much. <laughs> I want to ask you though, too, Doc. Before I let you go, um, 
because I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you so that we can do some some talking on the side about some things. But um, I want to ask you, though, you've got Exodus Foundation going on right now, obviously, but I want to know what's happening over there. Are you looking for any donation? What do you have going on as far as uh, how can we help you? Oh, well, thank you. Yes, <laughs> your audience can help. So this is actually Black Philanthropy Time Oh, month. okay. 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 So um, our goal is 600 donors giving $10 a month for three yes. years. Yes. That's okay. just, that's a $120 donation a year. But if you do it monthly, it really helps our board manage the funds and the cash flow. So if you can set up an automatic pay okay. and um, online bill pay or, or go to exodusfoundation.org uh, on Facebook. Okay. Uh, we have all sorts of links up there that allow you to link up and make that gift. Awesome. That's simple as it is. That's easy. You know, and it's not asking for a whole lot too. So that's, that's good. Right. That's good, Doc. I like that. I like that. I'll see how we can make that happen here at What's to Say with Dr. Kim Ray. Do you have any final thoughts that uh, we maybe didn't touch on that, you know, you kind of had on your heart that you wanted to talk about today? Anything or shout outs? And I need everyone that hears this to understand that we've been choked out for centuries in this country. Mm -hmm. that, that, that we haven't been able to breathe properly as people of color for mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. And what we see manifesting in terms of police brutality and people literally being choked out is yeah. a manifestation of what our lives are like as people of color. And I need people to get angry. I need mm -hmm. you to be pissed off about mm -hmm. it. I need you to have some righteous indignation. I want you to understand that the, the plot was genocidal from the very begin, mm -hmm. beginning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we all need to repent for drinking the Kool-Aid mm -hmm. in the 80s <laughs> and, and signing up for tough on crime legislation yeah, and turn the whole thing around. That's it. That's it. Drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, Doc. I like it. I like it a lot. And I really appreciate this conversation. I more so appreciate your work that you're doing out here in these streets. It's, it's you know, you're not popular enough. You're not famous enough. You know, everyone should know you. Uh, you should be on uh, Oprah's own uh, master class. You should be talking about these things. And, and Van, Van Jones, you know, should have you on his show. I mean, you should be more popular than... I know you've been on uh, Roland Martin's uh, show and a couple of other uh, TV shows you've been on. So you've been around and out there, but you're just, you're just not famous enough. This is, this is big you, stuff. You are very kind <laughs> to say that. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's not about me, Dr. Kim. It's no, about the message, yeah. right? Yeah. I want our message to get out there. Yeah. And, 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 and I want, I have to mention this name while I've got you, Robert Green. Okay. He's a brother that we're trying to get out of prison in Virginia right now. Okay. So I don't know if you have a way of posting about it, but your Virginia listeners. Okay. Um, Robert Green in Virginia. Gonna, we're going to need some help. Free Robert Green. Okay. Damn it. All right. <laughs> Hashtag free Robert Green. I'm going to have to read about his story. And we'll, but we'll talk more about some things, you know, offline too. I want to talk to you about some things. So um, we're going we're gonna to send you the donations and definitely check you out and the, what you got going on over there at ex exodusfoundation.org. That's and right. Uh, we just thank you so much. And if our subscribers were not woke, then 
maybe they're on their way to being woke now. Maybe this, this, this reached one person. And if it did that, I'm very proud and very excited for, for their new journey in their next part of their life. Thank just you. Love. So just love, just love. <laughs> yes. So I appreciate you so much, doc. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch with you Thank real you. soon. Peace out. All right, sis.